the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 125, recorded Friday, January 10th, 2014. Don't cross the streams. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Hello, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever the world you are listening and or watching this. Um, if you are joining me in the Midwest, I hope you're staying warm because we've been under snow all week. And so as the fine folks on the West, on the East Coast, rather, the first gentleman there, his name is George Tucker. He is... Uh, three-fourths of AV Nation. I'm just the ugly guy that sits behind the microphone. He also works for World Stage, and he is their engineering coordinator. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Good to speak with everybody today again. Uh, also with us is Joe Andrillis. Hey, Joe! How are you? I am well. Happy He's, New Year. Happy New Year. He is in Balmy, Texas. Uh, he is. That's because he's the vice president of global marketing for AMX. So Nice to be here. Nice to have you, sir. Uh, and last but not least, a former St. Louisan, uh, and now he's joined the ranks of the Eastern Time Zone. His name is Adrian Boyd. He works for Avatexture as their senior systems designer. How are you, brother? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. A uh, couple things this week. We've got some streaming stuff, and, and I say some. There's a lot of stuff that came out this week uh, from CES. Next week, we're going to kind of do a, a big, giant show. We're going to have Rich Fergoza and a couple folks from EH Pubs on. Um, those folks actually are at CES this this very week. Uh, so there's some streaming those stuff that came souls. out. Huh? I said those poor souls. Yes, those poor souls. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, you know, rubbing elbows. Our, our old buddy uh, Scott Moody, I've watched some of his Facebook stuff, and he said something about uh, his $10 sandwich uh, at CES what had like 80 grams of fat and 2,000 calories or something ridiculous. <laughs> it's true. So yes. It's trade show food, folks. Um, but, you know, we're going to talk about CES. There's a couple stuff that we're going to talk about that, that affects us because we, we've talked a lot, a lot about streaming on this show and how it affects both the resi and the, and the pro market. So we're going to get into a little bit of that. Yamaha uh, has picked up a, a company, uh, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about home automation and Nest and their move into automobiles, which is kind of interesting. But first, uh, as has happened on this show a couple of times in the two and a half years we've been doing this, we have some late breaking news. Uh, we're talking before the show, and uh, Mr. Andrulis said, hey, somebody just popped in my office and said, there's this rumor going around, so we're going to go ahead and talk about the rumor. There, there is actually a, an announcement. and that I, I am looking. You're looking it up yeah. now? I have it right in front of me. I can read. The Go ahead and read paragraph. it right there, verbatim. It says Microsoft to exhibit at Infocom 2014, released on 110 2014. Uh, it comments Infocom is pleased to announce Microsoft will be a new exhibitor, the world's largest audiovisual trade show. Microsoft will be a platinum sponsor occupying significant floor space. Uh, they make some comments and quotes, but one of the significant ones is this is a demonstration that the long 
decade-long conversation about the convergence of AV and IT technology has been realized. So your comments about streaming and all things network-centric about AV are well supported by this little breaking news. Yeah, that's, okay, so he said that at first, and I'm like, holy, seriously? Uh, and it's not just like they're, they're, they're showing up at a 10 by 10 booth. They're a freaking uh, platinum sponsor. Platinum sponsor. They don't they don't say quite how much floor space, but only that it's significant. But if you're a platinum sponsor, they're making an investment. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got. Mm. Um, okay, so this is off the top of my head. It was it was not black box. Was it black box? Um, uh, Christie and um, Crestron last year. Uh, was and Samsung was was another uh, platinum sponsor right. last year. Who is it? Uh, I don't remember last year's no. Uh, but but these are I mean you, you guys are are up there as well in, in yes. at being AMX a, a significant sponsor. Uh, Joe, we'll we'll start it with you since you're, since you're the one that that got to break it for us. How significant is this? Uh, not only in the world of of convergence and and moving IT and everything together, but the fact that Microsoft, a company that makes software, let's yeah. be honest here, they don't with the exception of the Xbox, they don't make a whole lot of hardware. The fact that they're not only coming to the biggest AV show, uh, but they're also becoming a significant supporter of it and being a platinum sponsor. I I do think it's a very big deal. And, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they came in big. They're a significant player. I think if they decide to do something, it's going to be as as a lead um, participant. Uh, But I do feel like what it really represents is that Microsoft now does see AV as a central capability in enterprises that it is going to be principally a network-driven service, and that time isn't coming, it's it's now. So uh, it is a conversation that we've all been having for quite a while now, and it's kind of neat to see it uh, becoming live. From our point of view, yeah, it is getting more and more software-centric, so that's a change in our world. But on the very, very good side is this, this suggests that there's going to be a big, big expansion in the way AV is consumed in companies and, and as individuals personally. Yeah. George, uh, one of my favorite stories that my buddy Kevin Iselli tells about Infocom and the history of convergence is the fact that I believe it was Infocom 2000 or 2001, he, uh, he comes up the escalator and there's this giant banner that says convergence. Actually, he sent me a picture of it about a week or so ago. Uh, he, he was going through some old files and he found it. And so we've been talking about this for quite a while. Uh, talk about for a second, though, that just like Joe said, the, the significance of, of Microsoft coming in and coming in as big as they are. Well, they're they're going with guns blazing, I suppose, and I'm sure we'll see Home OS <laughs> be prominently displayed. Um, and I'm wondering about everybody was showing links this last year, so I wonder how much they're going to be uh, tying into everybody as well. But yeah, no, uh, there's enough room for everybody in this market, and with them coming in trying to expose the greater market to it, I think it's a good thing. You're going to see a lot of your average audiophile home tech guys suddenly take great notice of everybody. I think it's going to be a good thing for us. Adrian, uh, how big of a deal is this? And, and where do you think they're going with this? I mean, let's be honest. Again, they make software. Uh, now, one thing I will say, if you've looked at the the Xbox One for more than 30 seconds, you realize where they're going with the Xbox, right? If they want that to be kind of your center for everything. They want that box to be the, the Xbox One. To be, you know, everything that you go to, whether it's for gaming or whether it's for streaming, or I mean, you, for crying out loud, you you can run your, your cable signal through it and have an overlay on top of it. So they're they're making a play for residential. 
but I, I, you know, Infocom, the show is is more pro driven. So, so where is Microsoft going with this? Um, I'm thinking a big giant Xbox One demo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can just see it now. All the you know anybody who's an Infocom will just be sitting on big sofas playing you know you know the latest Xbox game, but. Microsoft has always kind of been involved with AV for a very long time. I mean, uh, if you look at Bill Gates, uh, if you've heard the stories of what he did at his house, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure in, uh, George is at uh, Crestron. He remembers that Bill invested a lot of money in Crestron product in mm -hmm. his residence. So Microsoft as a company, they're very tech savvy. You know, they like technology. They've, they're always kind of on the cusp of something. Uh, if you've seen a lot of the uh, the demos coming out of Microsoft Research, where they're doing uh, things with uh, projectors and cameras, um, mapping rooms, projecting images, ex uh, uh, the coolest one I saw was where they were actually uh, using the Xbox, using the Kinect camera, but they were taking uh, an image of a, of what you were playing and extending it via the projector and creating that sort of uh, you know what we do with projection mapping. You know, in a room, so you you're like in the game, and every all the textures feel like you're the game. So, I think they're going to show a lot of that kind of technology, a lot of the stuff that they're milling around, and they may not make a lot of hardcore hardware, but they do have a lot of partnerships with a lot of hardware manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we've got Samsung, we've got, you know, they they do have partnerships with Crestron. I mean, I'm I think they you know they've got a few things with AMX. So they're going to be showing a lot of the products that a lot of our traditional manufacturers have been showing and, you know, showing that integration far more. I think it's a positive thing for Infocom. Uh, just to kind of, when you see other people come into our space that do something different or they give us a aha moment, oh, I didn't think of that, now I can, you know, I want to do something different, it's always beneficial. Like, we always find something new and we're always adapting, so I think this will be great for the show. Yeah. Okay, okay. So let's let's talk about this for a second here, and and take a, a left turn, sort of around around Crestron, or not around um, Microsoft. Microsoft being a significant software manufacturer. Then you have Cisco. Okay. Now, granted, Cisco purchased Tanberg a few years ago, and that is primarily what they show at the at the Infocom show. However, it's still Cisco, right? It's it's still Cisco. Um, and in my year-end uh, predictions, I still predict that Cisco is going to buy a control company, and I still think they are eventually. Um, so those <laughs> are two significant. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to keep predicting it until it happens, and then I can say I was. Right. <laughs> um, you knew I was right. <laughs> yeah, I was right. Ten years ago, I was right. Uh, so those are two significant IT companies, right? And that, that, you know, Microsoft IT's computer, you know, software. Let's kind of put them in the same general vicinity, or at least the general same general universe as as Cisco. Are there any other companies that maybe should be looking at it now? Should be looking at at, at presenting at Envocom or exhibiting at Envocom? Uh, Joe, we'll go with you on this. Is there somebody yeah. that you can think of from that is thought of, I you know, primarily as computers or IT? Absolutely, I'm I'm uh, waiting. In fact almost more surprised that Google's not there mm. given, mm. well, think about what they're doing with WebRTC. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're making a huge investment in using a pure Chrome-based, um, peer-to-peer connected audio-video network that's 
open source, available for everybody, really trying to democratize network-based audio video. And I'm, I'm surprised that uh, they're not already there, to be honest. Yeah. Or with their Android operating system as well being integrated into lots of things. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's all really part of their whole ecosystem. But a WebRTC mm. is a real interesting pure AV play um, that I think sets them up very very conveniently for this market. Yeah. And you'll couple it with Google Glass, and yeah. you know some of the other um, technology companies that they've purchased in the past, Motorola. I mean, they just made a big investment in uh, a robotics company. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, Google would definitely be a good fit for Infocom. Yeah. We're waiting. <laughs> somebody somebody get Sergey on the line and we can we can get him there. Uh, they're still focused on the the consumer market though, aren't they really? I mean, they're they're really sort of looking at the mass market multi-million units kind of operation. I think they're at CES right now. Yeah. I, I don't know if they have a booth itself. I forgive me, but you know that there's CES news about them everywhere. Yeah. Right. I mean, don't don't you think that that's really where we're destined, uh, even in the professional audio video market, is really a mass version of that now? Hmm. Um, I I think the lines are going to blur just as they have in uh, consumer electronics and telephony, right? Corporate telephony and personal telephony are lo no longer distinct. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and some of that's also going to be be driven by the the drive for the smart building. I mean, AMX does yeah. it, and, and a number of other control companies do it where you've got this one giant, not giant, but, but this one centralized um, control system that, that's trying to talk to all these disparate uh, mm -hmm. devices. And if it's Android in the background, then obviously it makes sense for Google to be there. If it's Microsoft right. Home, and, you know, it makes sense for Microsoft to be there. Cisco, because, well, I mean, they're, they're, there's more than one or two uh, Cisco's in, a, in the backbone of most you know, Fortune 500 companies. so. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for them to be there as well. So. Yes. Uh, all right, gentlemen, let's move on to streaming <clears throat> and 4K and all that wonderful stuff. Um, we, we have talked about uh, from time to time the development of 4K and the development of UHD TV. Um, and slightly, just so we're not, we're not confusing, 4K is not UHD TV, but a lot of people use it interchangeably because they're stupid uh, <laughs> uh, UHD TV is not, now let's be fair not, the marketing people for these standards have confused the living caca out of people with it well not, not to disparage any marketing people on this call not <clears throat> so disparage Joe. <laughs> but God love marketing people <laughs> sometimes well. they you know, ne never let, how is it, ne never let uh, the facts get in the way of a good campaign. Get in the way of a good story, absolutely <laughs> not. UHD, TV, UHD, ultra high definition, is not quite 4K, so that's why they came up with the UHD part. So uh, anyhow, so Samsung's coming out with, with, with another uh, UHD uh, thing that is, here's the dis distinction here, though. It's going to stream 4K. Uh, it's going to stream 4K from Amazon, from Comcast, DirecTV, Netflix. Uh, we'll, we've got a story that we'll put on the show notes. Netflix is going to start streaming 4K. Mm -hmm. So all of you naysayers out there that say, well, you know, the reason that 4K is not going to happen and not going to flourish is because there's no content. Well, uh, did you hear huh. that uh, Google also announced that they're going to begin uh, broadcasting 4K through YouTube using mm -hmm. VP9? Yeah. Uh, encoding 
And that's connected back to their WebRTC connection, not to bring that up again, but no, no, it's no. all part of their overall strategy. So Web 4K is all of a sudden everywhere. Yeah. And see, the one argument, uh, George and I did a, a nice show last year with, with the folks at CE Pro uh, talking with some folks from the, the Consumer Electronics Association. And they made two distinctions, which I thought was very interesting. One, they tied the success of 4K to the success of OLED. That didn't exactly happen this year. But 4K kind of took off, right? 4K was, was kind of, is kind of there. The one thing that they were talking about, though, was the content. And a year ago, actually a year and a half ago, YouTube was giving you the ability to upload and download 4K. So the infrastructure was kind of already there, right? They were already letting you put the content up there. Uh, it wasn't something that they publicized a lot, mainly because, you know, with the exception of, of watching on a computer monitor that may or may not be, you know, 4K compatible or, or up to 4K or beyond. Um, but they were putting it in their library. And so, Joe, you're right. The fact that they are starting to stream this now uh, and they have this this backlog of a, of a year, year and a half of people uploading 4K, they're, they're primed and ready to go for it. They are, yeah. Uh, George, how big of a deal is this for, let's separate the two. I mean, like, again, like I mentioned, the, the guys at CEA thought that OLED and 4K would kind of develop together. It didn't exactly happen like they thought. But mm. 4K, is, it feels like it's coming into its own. Um, is this a, How big of a deal is it the fact that, that not just Samsung is doing this with this TV, but these other services are making 4K available? Well, I think there's actually a demand. So unlike 3D, my favorite whipping boy, there's actually a pent-up demand for a higher resolution home product. So let's even say that the division could be 4K as home and Ultra HD is sort of cinematic. Maybe we can make that distinction, but there is a pent-up demand for a 4K, a higher quality, deeper, more in-depth picture from the consumer market. And I think that is a testament to it. This is not everybody joining on in a bandwagon going, it's a recession. We have something to make money with, 3D. People want it. Yes, let's push product. This actually wants to be sold, wants to be bought. So I think this is positive in both sides. Um, and I, it, the seamlessness that it feels to me and it's unforced really does feel, uh, bodes well in my, in my eyes. The one thing I love about you, George, is that you always wear rose-colored glasses and you never see the dark side of anyone's intentions. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh, now, wait a minute. That was sarcasm. You've known me way yeah. too long. With so. sarcasm. <laughs> We're in a recession. Let's find a way to make money. I know, 3D. Well, am I wrong, though? I mean, no, you're not wrong. We had this okay movie. I'm going to say that right now. I didn't think the movie was great, but it was fun. But suddenly there was a demand by consumers for 3D. I don't think was true. No. I mean, how many channels were out there? I mean, even ESPN got rid of it, for yeah. God's sakes. Uh, goodness sakes, yeah, whatever. If, but if you, can't, if you can't make money, you know, doing sports in 3D, I mean, right. who doesn't want to see a soccer ball coming right at their face? So, uh, <laughs> Adrian. Who doesn't want to pay about $100 for a pair of glasses? Exactly. That will give you seizures <laughs> if you have the wrong, you know. Yeah. Uh, Adrian, how big of a deal is this, the, the streaming in 4K and, and, and UHD? I think it's very interesting, um, especially when we've seen kind of the inroads that have come out with CES and, and with other um, pieces of technology in the last few months. What I find interesting is 4K is an example. Um, I was reading an article where you're talking about how they figured out the size of a 4K file for the Amazing Spider-Man um, 
the just the trailer, uncompressed 4K, just the trailer was 500 gigabytes data storage. Wow. So now we're going to stream 4K files over the internet, and we have ISPs that are starting to cap their bandwidth services. So I'm looking and going, okay, so we know that Netflix takes up a huge amount of, of you know, when they do, you know, how many, all the websites that are being hit in the bandwidth. Netflix, Netflix takes up a chunk, Hulu takes up a chunk, YouTube, when they do all the web statistics. So now I'm going to start streaming 4K files from, you know, Netflix. How is that going to hit my, you know, my bandwidth that I get from my ISP yeah. every month? Is that going to start sucking it down? Am I going to start... You know, oh, you've exceeded your amount of bandwidth because you watched, you know, four episodes of a show from Netflix. So uh, there seems to be that. I think you know now you're seeing really why some of these trends have started to happen. Why the, um, you know, companies like Verizon. I mean, why do you think Comcast bought Universal? Because they like minions. Because they like minions. <laughs> well, no, think about it. Adrian, they, don't don't you think that's really more though, just of a pricing problem? Because the willingness or the desire of the carriers to put a cap on bandwidth is just a matter of whether they're getting paid enough to make it worth their time. And if the demand by the consumer is there and they're willing to pay, I mean, I just upgraded my Verizon files, another 10 bucks, and I got 50 megabytes a second download. Right. I'm all ready to roll for, for, for 4K. Right. They, but they then, you know, do you hit your bandwidth cap and do you start getting paid more? I mean, this because yeah. all this kind of pigeon toe, you know, shoehorns real nicely into the the, the one article we're, we're going to talk about where they want to put a pass a new bill that gives you know mm. streaming video services the same protections as cable providers right, and satellite right. providers. Yeah, you know, the part about this that I find really fascinating is uh, when you think what's what's happened with the adoption of 4K and how quickly it's happened, and who made the decision to go start streaming it? And if you compare this to back in the day when uh, normal HD came out, 1080p HD, it was a function of would Comcast and would Verizon, would the cable companies willing to give up their bandwidth to go distribute mm -hmm. it? And it took years, right? A decade before would the content carriers be willing to go and send HD and therefore nobody would buy HD because nobody would send it. <laughs> well, here it didn't matter. People, individuals decided they were going to do it and whether it's on YouTube or companies like uh, Netflix, and here it's happening in the course of a year. I mean, it's spectacularly faster than it was in that first round. No, and that's a mm. very good point. And I think that goes back to George's point, where there's a demand. I mean, it, there, there's yeah. a, a, a an organic demand as opposed to the 3D craze or whatever you want to call it. There's an actual demand for a higher resolution. People are getting, you know, displays and they're seeing some of this stuff, whether it's out on digital signage or it's, it's elsewhere. They're seeing the quality difference. And, and you know, here's the thing. Um, it wasn't a big sell to when you walk into Best Buy or at the time Circuit City or, or where, whatever your big box store was. And you looked at an, a standard definition television and you looked at a 720p or, or a 1080, um, 1080i at the time. It was a huge difference. You could you could sit there and you could say, okay, mm -hmm. absolutely, this is better than this, right? Same thing with with 4K. You can look at a 1080p or or, or an interlaced either one, and look at 4K, and you can say this is different, right? This is significantly better. Uh, and so that coupled with the fact that there is content available for that immediately, I think that's kind of driving. You know, there's an organic yeah. an actual organic uh, growth here. So that's that's kind of neat to see. Yeah. 
I do think there's also a power shift too, and you know, the, it's not quite so centralized, and it's helped 4K move ahead more quickly even than that first gen. It's good. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's also been a lot of other inroads. I mean, we uh, you look at Red. Red started doing their own private content delivery service for 4K files. Mm -hmm. um, you're seeing a lot of um, private individuals and filmmakers putting their product out in 4K. Um, what's the? It's uh, Timescapes. Mm -hmm. Right, uh, that was a 4K movie. That was like the first 4K movie you could actually buy. It was $300, but you could buy a 4K movie. It was like 200 gigabytes, but you could buy a 4K and movie. Here's the other thing about that. I mean, I, I was reading a piece this week. Um, I wasn't going to bring it up because it, it was. We were talking about an awful lot of film stuff already. But uh, it was a piece called uh, "Blu-ray is Dead," uh, and the author. I want to say it was in Forbes. I, I apologize. I'll, I'll find it and put it on the show notes. But the author says, it makes the point of, first of all, you have all these streaming options now. Uh, you have 4K streaming, which, let's be honest here, 4K is a higher resolution than, than Blu-ray. Independent filmmakers cannot afford the um, license cost when it comes to Blu-ray. Uh, the, the license cost to make a Blu-ray movie is, is astronomical. I mean, you have to be a big-time studio, a major studio, to afford the cost. And then... The printing, you have to print so many copies of a movie to make it financially viable. Otherwise, you're going to buy a $300 Blu-ray of you know your local independent film. That's why a lot of them are sticking with standard definition with, or sticking with standard definition uh, discs. But now you don't have to, right? You could make an HD, an HD movie. You could make a 1080p movie or a 4K movie, put it on your website or, or, or give it to Netflix to stream or give it to Amazon to sell to, so people can download or stream it and totally... You know, circumvent the whole you know hard Absolutely. disk with the the media company. So, mm -hmm. uh, all right. Well, well physical media is costly. You got to make your money back, and the transport yes. medium is not that costly. No, it's not. I mean, here's the thing, and, and we we can talk about uh, bandwidth caps and stuff like that. Some of us have them, some of us don't. Uh, I thankfully, you know, knock on something, uh, wood or for my or whatever my desk is made of. Uh, Charter still does not have caps. Uh, but I know folks like Comcast do. Um, who was it? Time Warner does uh, some sort of cap. Uh, does Verizon have a cap, uh, Joe, that you're aware of? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Not not on the FiOS. No. Okay. Um, it's all it's mostly speed initiated. But yeah. Charter does have a cap because I've hit it. <laughs> oh well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was a funny thing. Um, we had their not the highest, but their their second highest. Con, you know. Um, consumer um internet when we were in st louis mm -hmm. and we went to canada to visit you know grandparents and in-laws and so on and i have the ability to stream movies from my home server on any ipad device so you know the kids are watching cartoons and stuff and you know having a good old time when i get back i got a letter and a phone call saying um you've you know exceeded the amount of bandwidth that you know a normal user you know <laughs> we need to talk about this i'm like they basically said, explain them what happened. Like, oh, well, you really shouldn't do that. If you're going to do that, you need to go to our, you know, our, our next higher tier, you know, because, you know, that we have caps. I'm like, well, what doesn't have a cap? Well, our business sort of, plans. Yeah. So it's like the, uh, I switched over to a business plan. The easy pass, you know, you were speeding. We're going to give you a ticket. What, you can do that? Well, yeah, surprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were watching. All right, Tim, is this a good time to, though, segue into the uh, that bill about the Absolutely, yeah. 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 Let me uh, let me bring it up here. Um, it's a it's a story off of uh, the fine website, The Verge. If I can get it up here, 
The Verge. I like The Verge. George doesn't like The Verge's website. I like The Verge's website. Uh, <laughs> the new bill. Throwing me under the bus. No, you just don't. Oh, nice. It's an aesthetic thing. Uh, this new bill would give streaming video services the same protections as cable providers. Here's the history on this, though, folks. Um, okay, so let's let's get a little bit. I didn't switch that, did I? Um, let's get a little bit into the history of kind of cable and, and broadcasting for a second. Um, if you're not aware of this, if you're not aware of how the history of, of cable started, uh, back in the 50s and the 60s, uh, the cable providers that were in there were nothing more than, than rebroadcasters. Uh, that's what they were doing. That's how they started. They, I think the first, the first uh, logged cable provider was in somewhere in Pennsylvania. Uh, and because of the hills of Pennsylvania, what you would have is you'd have these two at a couple different towns. Town B couldn't get the over-the-air signal because it was covered by it was blocked by mountains. So an in, an enterprising young man or woman would put a, 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 a antenna at the top of this mountain, uh, modulate that onto a cable signal, and run the cable down into the town that wouldn't get it. And there you go. You know, it was a basic common carrier. And there are a number of different court cases that came about during the 60s and 70s and uh, a couple different bills and FCC regulations and rules and, and uh, decisions that has given the cable system that we have today, which gives them the, 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 the right to do this. And that's all this bill is doing. It's, it's, it's emulating that, it, it, from my opinion, again, and this is just you know, from being a, a media historian, it, that's what all it's doing. Company, companies like Aero, uh, A-E-R-O, and if you're not familiar with what they do, uh, they take um, the HD over-the-air signals, uh, modulate that, and give it to you over IP, over, over the Internet. Uh, it's only in a, in a handful of, of, of markets right now. St. Louis is not one of them, just for the record, because I keep, I, I keep checking about once a month. Uh, but it does the same thing, only instead of modulating it onto a piece of copper... It's modulating it and putting it onto an IP, and it gives you a couple things. It gives you the opportunity, the ability to rewind your live TV stream, a la, you know, TiVo. But that's what this bill is doing. So, George, let me get your two cents on this. Is this the right thing for them to do, and, and should it be Congress that does this? Yes and yes, and here's why. We just talked about uh, the, the, the caps and the thresholds on certain cable companies' internet provisions are providing. Uh, they will claim sometimes they're not there, but they are there. And in order for them to not cause a competitive disadvantage to these streaming services, they have to be protected. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's sort of the same thing as, like you said, the telcos, when AT&T Ma Bell broke up, and they needed to let these smaller carriers use the same transmission lines. It just had to be. And some of it was a little unfair to Ma Bell and the AT&Ts that, that came about afterwards, but it had to be. Otherwise, it would be a monopoly pushing out its competitors. And these streaming services, just like we talked before, K, are wanted by the consumers, and cable wasn't given it. They've now lost that part of the battle for the moment and have to give up the ghost. I think the Rockefeller bill... I find it's funny that it's Jay Rockefeller doing <laughs> no, it. No, I see. I was... <laughs> why did you... you know, I was hoping you weren't going to say that. Well, no, but I mean, then again, he is from the liberal branch of that family, so you know, <laughs> yeah. I kind of can like him. He's, you know, but uh, that being said, I think it's needed absolutely because there was all these threats of the net neutrality, everything the FCC and Congress was fighting over, and it's tubes, not a dump truck. Stuff has to be brought into bear and say, stop fooling around, give them the protection, let's make it equal. 
okay, quickly, so so before we go to Joe on this, explain the tubes and dump truck. Oh, gosh, yeah, I forget who it was. It was Senator from Alaska, I think it was. Senator Stevens, who went up, God rest his soul. Senator Stevens, yes. Oh, that's right, he did die. I forgot about him. I like how the plane, um, plane crash, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, it was weird. Now, that being said, he went up and gave a speech. Now, this is one of the people on the Committee for Technology and Telecommunications who was obviously fed speaking points from his uh, his, his uh, lobbyist lobbying <laughs> his lobbying handlers, um, and gave a speech about how the internet is made of tubes and can get congested by all the data. It's not a dump truck to put stuff. <laughs> and, <he used> for <laughs> and it became a viral thing. But one of the better ones, and I'll I'll give you the link for it to put up on the show notes. Thank you. Was a um, <laughs> was it was a musician who put it to a techno beat with some very old vintage footage of mechanical stuff and tubes and pneumatic stuff and just repeated him and made it this great two-minute song. Yeah. And it's awesome. It's all, it's all yeah, so interconnected tubes. The misunderstanding of Congress of how the technology works and what the consumers want and what they're being fed by their handlers, this has to be protected, and I think he's doing the right thing. And the fact that, that yeah, that, that he is. Uh, Joe, we'll go with you on this one. How, how do you feel about the, the bill and, and, and kind of what they're trying to do with it? Well, I'll, I'll comment on what I about the philosophy. I mean, I'm I'm very very much in favor of anything that opens up the market. I think that anything that drives competition, even though it's sometimes tough on incumbents, um, ultimately drives innovation, and everybody turns out better at the end of the day. Now, whether this bill, in fact, accomplishes that or not, I. You know, if you're going to accuse the marketing guy of mishandling facts, <laughs> and then you're going to ask me about my legal opinion, I think you're really uh, looking in the wrong place. But uh, wow. it sounds good, but only at an arm's length. Okay. Uh, lawyers and marketing folks. There's a joke there somewhere. Uh, Adrian, uh, I didn't do Maybe that's joke. where it is, right there. Maybe that's, it, maybe that's what it is. Uh, about this bill and about protecting uh, the, the uh, streaming guys. Well, I think it's, 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 I mean, one of the big things about, about the, the bill that was passed in, in 92 is it, it was really, it, it required the cable systems not to, uh, to allow, to carry the, you know, local channels and that, and, and there wasn't a lot of these. Well, it gave, it gave them the option, right? It gave the local it channels the, the out. Carry local channels. Um, there were provisions in that, you know, prohibited, uh, you know, cable operator from charging broadcasters to carry their signals. And, and this is why you always get that, you know, that, pit, that, that, contests between satellite providers at times where you know you'll see the oh we're not carrying your channel because they don't want to pay the fees and you know mm -hmm. we don't want to pay their fees and you you get a lot of that but if we're going to go forward with, with hardcore streaming services um, we kind of have to give them the same playing field that you know regular terrestrial broadcasters have satellite Cable, they all have to basically play in in the same sandbox. So we, there has to be something to make it so that, you know, somebody's not getting screwed over, because they want to watch something from a particular provider, and just to make it easy. But you know, the other funny thing is, is just in the last couple of weeks, there's there was was two studies or one study that was done about comparing the United States as, uh, states bandwidth to the rest of the world and we suck we, <laughs> well, yeah. Latvia has more broadband than we do <laughs> now is that per capita like per person or is it just overall I think yep, it was overall it capped, Adrian? <laughs> <laughs> it probably is <laughs> but but I mean that's the thing like we, when we comparatively look at what we have for broadcast and, and content compared to the rest of the world we are somewhat behind 
when you look at, say, Japan, where they can watch over the air on a cell phone, uh, where you know we need you know four or five different boxes to make that happen. They've got it built right into the phone. Mm -hmm. uh, we look at a, a lot of the you know other areas in Europe where they're doing things with you know their broadcast that. You know, we're still trying to figure out, well, gee, is that going to work as a standard? I mean, our FCC can't, for the life of them, figure out a few things. You know, uh, I think in some of the comments when we were talking about the 4K, some guy was going on, they're never going to figure out a standard 4K for, you know, standard broadcast. You know, how is most of this going to work? Uh, and let, let's be a couple of different things. First of all, yeah. I, I wrote a, a, a blog piece about this. Uh, we had on a show in October, November. And we were talking about streaming and, and the fact that it's, it's overtaking uh, broadcast, uh, the, the medium. And the comment was made, you know, a lot of, a lot of over-the-air broadcasters are still getting caught up and, and are still paying off the debt from going digital. They're not anywhere near going to be jumping on the bandwagon to, for doing 4K anytime soon. And that's probably true. And that's what will kill them. Uh, again, my opinion but like George said, there is a demand. There is a pent-up organic demand from the consumer side for this technology, for this 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 resolution, and they're going to get it somewhere. I mean, if if the the Napster um, and uh, the LimeWire and the Bear Shares uh, of the world didn't teach us anything, it taught us that the consumer will find a way to get what they want, how they want it. Right? They'll find a way to get 4K, and if they're not getting it from you over the air. They're going to get it from Amazon and from Netflix. Uh, now, that being said, I, I have a, a small, a very small excuse for the FCC, and that's this. They have a very big country, right? <laughs> uh, you know, from sea to shining, shining sea is a lot of uh, territory to cover and to manage. Um, the folks at UHK, which is the Japanese uh, government-run um, I'm sorry, NRK. Um, NR yeah, NRK. Um, NHK. NHK. Good Lord. NRK is, 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 is Norway. NHK is, um, is Japan. Their broadcast, they've done 8K, right? They've done 8K over the air. Uh, but they can do that, right? Smaller. And they've done 13K. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, they... well, and, and so did South Korea. South Korea did 8K, uh, yeah. over the air. So it's not like it's not happening, but these are, geographically smaller companies or uh, smaller countries uh and they are technologically obviously more advanced i mean was on that on that report isn't south korea still the most uh as far as the the network and, and the internet connection they're still the highest uh rated one or has somebody passed them do you remember adrian no i think i think south korea still has the highest density yeah you know, because yeah. they're just insane there. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, good. something like that. You so know, I have a question it, about it, It's that. all StarCraft. That's yeah. what it is. Hey. <laughs> I have a question about that, though. Is this really, does this really come down to, we'll use proper English, does this really Why? come down to, I don't know, just for the fun of it, infrastructure. We are, what, 100 years old in some of our infrastructure? And mm -hmm. a lot of these countries, yeah. that main infrastructure. Is this not a call to the FCC and to the government to really step up that infrastructure build? I know we did it a couple of years ago with fiber, and then we had lots of dead fiber, but we're not there anymore. We need to step that up again. If we're going to match that, I mean, not even our, our universities and other facilities are up to speed. 
uh, but serious the, problem. Here's okay, <laughs> but is that is okay? I didn't say community colleges. I said university. No, 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 no. no <laughs> and, and we it, community college. I, do, I I work for. We do have fiber. Uh, it, it's a pain in my butt sometimes because it's also what our our uh, our closed caption uh, TV runs on. Mm-hmm. Um, is that? And this is a more political question, so I apologize. Is that the job of the government, or is that the job of business? Well, I, I do think that the government does have a role in the sense that if it removes structural barriers to company or to companies or individuals who want to drive that change in the infrastructure, meaning if there is a demand and somebody is willing to provide a service at a price that somebody will pay, they will upgrade the infrastructure to deliver it. Yeah. And so I think what we're seeing in some of this 4K delivery is that there is that demand, as you point out. There are people who want to drive it, and what's stopping it is less that the infrastructure alone can't do it, but that there's regulatory barriers that permit some companies to protect their old style business model, even in the face of some people who are willing to incur the cost to go and deliver the new stuff. So, you know, I think government can help by making sure that people don't put up roadblocks, having, you know, good public service arguments that are really just a, a um, you know, a facade over protecting, or, you know, protectionist uh, position. Uh, and you're always going to get that with incumbents, right? I mean, they're, they've got a vested interest in protecting their business model. They're they're the winners of the last generation. Yeah. But don't and, we? Incumbents going to have to be involved because if we look at the landmass of the U.S., the federal government owns about thirty percent, thirty-three percent of the total territory. So they got to be involved somehow because if we mm-hmm. need to get cables or infrastructure from one point to the other, we're probably going to go through federal land at some yeah. point. Well, but and that, my again, point is kind of a regulatory thing, right? It's, it's yeah, what they exactly. permit. Now, what they don't actually have to go dig the trenches or even pay for the trenches. People will do that if you, if they're just given the right away. But does that, doesn't that go against historical precedent with how technology and progress in this country has happened? I mean, everything from the interstate highways to the Internet to some other mm-hmm. projects started off as something government initiative. Now, they eventually handed some of it over, and it became, you know, removed their barriers to let free market work it and utilize that to the best effect. But all that started from there. So it's not just government research. It's that none of the businesses are willing to incur the cost. Even Google is sort of dabbling, but they're not going to go nationwide. You, all, you know they're not. No right. matter I what mean, there's billions there's they been earn, tons of stuff coming out of DARPA that have now seen you know, consumer applications. You know, a lot of the robotic stuff started off you know, in mm-hmm. DARPA and, and spun out a lot of our you know, television, internet. Yeah, it, it, government has a place somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, started off, kick it off. And then yeah. say, here you go. Well, and you know, here's give us a little the, bit of money back, and then there, there Just is as long the, as it's not GM. Yeah, <laughs> there, there is, there is pre- nice. By the way, there is by precedence uh, for the government doing, or, or at least subsidizing infrastructure. Back in the '70s, they did a cable infrastructure um, uh, push where that it was not financially viable uh, for cable companies to lay the copper to to dig the trenches, as Joe said. Uh, to rule America, uh, it just did not yeah. make financial sense. They would not recoup the the cost uh, to do that, and so the government and they passed the bills and said, you know what, we're going to finance this. We're we're going to we think it's important enough for these outlying areas to get uh, connected to the rest of the world via this this new technology of, of cable television, yeah. and that and that makes sense to me in in those remote areas. Do I think they should subsidize putting fiber into New York City? No. You know, you but got Wyoming, fiber, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what did you say, George? I said we have enough fiber. Thank right you. Now, 
right. But Wyoming <laughs> makes sense, you know? Yeah, Wyoming and Montana really don't have, you know, Idaho. Lower population centers don't have a lot of the access to the infrastructure that, you know, larger cities have. Yeah. I mean, they still don't have AOL for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only Sorry. reason why they're still here. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about some touchdown. By the way, you're listening and, and watching AV Week. Thank you so much for doing so. Uh, with us is Joe Andrulis from uh, AMX, uh, George Tucker there from uh, World Stage, and Adrian Boyd from Avitexture in uh, in D.C. Uh, let's talk about some touch panel stuff. And the reason we're going to do that is the fact that there is an interesting article that came out. And Joe's our, uh, Joe is going to be our, our, uh, our, uh, our touch panel guy today because he works for AMX. And, mm-hmm. well, let's be honest, they make the sexiest touch panel I've ever seen. Which we is do. The, which is the Madero. <laughs> um, and it's, a, it's, okay, so, yes, they're talking about um, cell phones. But you know what? Touch is touch. So... Uh, that's that's kind of where my brain went with this, and it's called the touchless touchscreen. May just be a software update away, and that may or may not be true. Uh, my Galaxy, what is my Galaxy? It's a one of the right. uh, three or four or whatever. Um, I can hold my finger above it, and it it senses uh, on certain programs where my finger is. So I don't actually have to physically touch it, right, Joe? Right. So right. when it comes to touch panel, now I understand that there are there are similarities and there are differences. I am not, I'm not trying to uh, you know say that a touch panel, a, a control system touch panel, is the exact same thing as a as an Android phone. However, you guys were showing the ability to play Angry Birds at Infocom last year. Yes, yeah. I just want to point that out. Um, <laughs> so, first of all, are we there yet when it comes to control touch panels? Uh, if not, are we close? And, and what what are, what are some of the benefits? Are we are we where are we are we to the point where we don't have to touch the touch panel? <laughs> oh, um, well, you know, speaking specifically to the technology that's in that article, you know, that what they're really just describing is that the touch panel is still there, just that, you know, the field change that's yeah. necessary to activate it, it doesn't actually require touch itself. Uh, you could be a millimeter or two away from the screen, which is kind of interesting technologically. I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm. It's not immediately obvious what the important use cases that that changes, uh, other than maybe you don't want smudges on your screen, and so you're careful. So I, I, I really think it's kind of an interesting technical thing, but I'm not really sure what new fundamental behavior it enables. Um, I can give you one right away. Is digital that right? signage, digital signage through a through a screen, so I can put it in a window and not have to touch it. Oh. oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's user. fair. So, so the user may not really yeah. experience touchlessness yeah. of the screen itself. Yeah. And I see. I was okay. thinking about a garage. You know, a guy that has uh, or a gal that that works at a at a car garage. You know, your your hands are well, it's dirty, greasy. You know, you don't necessarily want to touch. You don't want to touch it. Yeah. yeah so that's as much. So yeah, there there certainly are a few cases like that. I, you know, we don't. Uh, you know, in in our business, we don't run into so many of those cases. Um, I I do think the you know, the more general question you're asking, Tim, though, about um, touchless interfaces generally, you know, is there gesture-oriented interfaces or other ways of interacting with screens? Um, I, you know, I, I think anything that makes the interface more human, more natural for people is going to be welcomed. And, uh, you know, that's always a challenge. You know, sometimes you could do gesture. I saw a new Samsung TV that was gesture-oriented, didn't let you use the remote, uh, and, and it worked. But, you know, was it easier than the remote? You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just conditioned to use the remote, and I felt it was pretty natural. So uh, 
I think it's a great area. I think it's a fascinating area. The humanizing technology is is really what makes it as accepted, and and I'm all for new experiments there. Yeah, Adrian, uh, are we? Um, well, yeah. To go back to what what Joe was talking about, where where are we at with with touch versus touchless, and and or even gestures? Uh, we mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show the Microsoft uh, Connect. Um, that's one of the technologies that they were showing a couple of years ago, even. Where you were taking, some people were taking the connect, and, and, and you're showing, you know, you know, moving your hands and stuff like that. Uh, are we still in an era of of needing that that physical touch with the uh, interface? Yes and no. It depends, I think, on the application. Uh, there are some things where you want to have some sort of feedback, uh, a response to what you're doing. There's other situations where you don't really want that. Um, think about when you're cold and you need to answer your phone. If you don't have gloves that have got the little you know, sensor on them or, or to allow you to use it, you got to take the glove off and answer yeah. your phone. But um, in terms of individuals who have disabilities uh, that may not have accurate fine motion control in their, in their hands or fingers, we can think of arthritis, you know, any sort of um, cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy, MS, this type of technology would work really well for them because now they don't have to touch a surface. You know, they can actually interact with something without having a physical barrier in their way. So that's really positive. Uh, in terms of, uh, if we look at other technologies, like uh, when we're talking with gestures, you know, look at Leap Motion uh, with their little box. You know, it wasn't as cool as what we thought at first glance, but as they develop it and you get more developers involved, that will start to go where you can actually have a, a gestureless environment. Um, we're nowhere near, you know, the stuff in, in um, you know, uh, William Gibson type of stuff where, you know, you can sit there and and look at something, and you're manipulating it with your hands. There's a, a interactive interface with yeah. nothing encumbering you. We're not there yet, but we're definitely seeing a lot of this technology being pulled in in a roundabout way, and it's starting to happen. Uh, and and this touchless thing, but it is synaptics. They make a whole heck of a lot of of touch technology that we see in quite a lot of products. They, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, touch pads, buttons, and laptops, um, a lot of the, uh, the NFC, you know, field communication products, they've, they've got a hand in. So these guys certainly know what they're talking about in terms of making this technology very applicable and pliable. Yeah. Uh, George, you have the last word on on the touch. Uh, are we you, you and and the reason for for bringing you last is because uh, you have famously said on this show that you are not a gesture uh, when it Often. comes to several times control. Yes. Several times you you've made several gestures at least at me personally. Now that we're doing video, you can't do that anymore. I know it. Um, but where are we? I mean, are we, are we still? Might get us more ratings. Yeah. <laughs> well, <I don't> know. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we, I'll, I'll take one for the team. Yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> uh, are, are we in a spot where, where we still need to touch these things, or um, are we moving away from that? I think it depends on the application to ride the middle of the fence. I mean, you've got a big push for people using haptic, I think it's called, feedback, mm -hmm. in which the screen actually responds, uh, which a lot of people are very excited about for, for things like that, for Braille, for people who are having you know difficulties, or just because you like that solid feedback. We're still in analog creature, right? And we need to be tactile. You still want uh, your weighted knob. I still well, yeah. want my weighted knobs. Mm. Indeed I do. Thank you for that. Um, I'm having a moment. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but we, we still need that kind of stuff. But 
for applications where we where we don't want to have to touch it, whether it's the griminess of the screen, like an ATM machine. I mean, Joe can correct me on this, but this is really just a capacitive screen versus a resistive that you can actually tweak to have its feel just a little bit further out. Yeah, that's that's my understanding of it. Yes. Right, because I mean, I can do it to the ATMs all the time. I just hover my mm -hmm. finger over and I get within you know a half a millimeter and it whoop it goes. Okay. Touching ATM machines, but <laughs> it's a psychosis. We can get into it later. No. But I think for, like I said before, the digital signage, uh, other applications similar to that, maybe even medical, that is where those kind of advantages would be, as well as some kind of nifty G Wiz feature for, for people who want it in the consumer world. But yeah. I, th I just think it's kind of neat. Um, all right, guys, one last, uh, one last story here, and, and we'll, uh, we'll let you guys go for your, your Friday afternoon and your, uh, your uh, weekend fun. Uh, a friend of ours, her name is Julie Jacobson. She works at CE Pro. She's actually a, a co-founder of, of CE Pro and EH Publishing. Uh, editor at large, she won the CEA Tech Home Leadership Award at this year's uh, CES, so uh, at the International Consumer Electronics Show. So good for her. Uh, congratulations to uh, to Miss Jacobson. So yes, it's nice well to know deserved. that. <laughs> and it's nice to know she won something other than Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> she's nice. <laughs> oh, she's gonna kill me. I would. Uh, that would be George Tucker uh, at Tucker Twos at any you know any website known to man. He is at Tucker Twos. So and yeah, she well deserves it. I must. I'll say as well. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys, I'm going to let you go. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you'd like to, actually, we'll start with George. What the heck? He's already there on the screen. So, uh, George Tucker, Engineering Coordinator for World Stage and the left side of my brain. How can people find you and get a hold of you, sir? Now, as you said, if it's Tucker Twos and it's social media, I'm most likely there. I also write for Commercial Integrator and Tech Decisions Magazine. Very good. Uh, also with us, Adrian Boyd, uh, the longest uh, Twitter handle in the world, also the senior <laughs> system designer uh, for Avitexture in good old Washington. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you. And how can people get a hold of you and, and, and your Twitter handle? Uh, my, basically, the best was probably on my Twitter handle, which is the uh, underscore AV underscore CAD underscore guy. For those listening, for those watching, you can see it on the bug. Yeah. Very nice bug, by the way. Tell your wife congratulations. It's very nice. Thank so. you. Uh, and last but not least, uh, VP of Global Marketing for AMX, Mr. Joe Andrewlis. Thank you, sir. It's been my pleasure, Tim. Uh, how can people get a hold of you or AMX in general? Uh, well, they can always visit us at amx.com. Reach me at LinkedIn. Uh, that's a great way to reach me or at uh, joe.andrewlis at amx.com. Very good. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Do not follow me. It just It's silly. I just... I. I like the blues and the bears and the cardinals and that's pretty much and my kids and my wife and that's what I talk about so but uh, go by the website if you would please uh, the find uh, our fine web team which is made up of Matt Scott and George Tucker have put an awful lot of blood sweat and tears in the brand new website oh my goodness I'm proud of it um, it's very very good seriously uh, so go by the website if you would please uh, avnation.tv avnation.tv they've got some tweaks to do but by the most for the most part it's it's pretty stinking cool uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and LinkedIn and, and other stuff like that but uh, start your uh, start your day I guess uh, at avnation.tv you'll find this program and a host of others we have a brand new DIY coming down the pike sometime in the next uh, few days uh, we have a new ed tech coming uh, coming along so uh, live live the social media uh, control uh, based show so yeah go by the website avnation.tv avnation.tv thanks so much for listening that's all the time we have 
for AV Week. Thank you.